What's that word? Shagayanoth. <laughs> Thank you, Brendan. Which means? Shagayanoth. <laughs> I shouldn't put you on the spot like that. It's debated what it means, but it probably means with enthusiasm or with energy or with oomph getting into it. It's some sort of musical thing that he wants the people to be engaged in, and it's musical. It's a musical term. He says at the end, for the director of music, on my stringed instrument. So he probably played stringed instrument. Yeah, that's right. And you'll find throughout the chapter, depending on how your Bible's set out, but in verse 3, in verse 9, and in verse 13, there's a little word that appears 71 times in the Psalms, but it appears three times in this one chapter. The word is salah. What does it mean? Well, it's probably a musical term. It's probably, and we're not definite, um, but I'll come back to it. it probably, it's either a direction to the vocalists or to the musicians or to the general people, the congregation. Um, and the Amplified Bible, I think, translates it as pause. Think about that. And that's one of the possible meanings. So this is something that is supposed to be sung. That Habakkuk is singing this. It's a song. It's a prayer that he has translated into song. Chapter 2 ended by God saying to him that he was to be silent. The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And Habakkuk was. Took some time out. Meditated, prayed, thought about things. And in this chapter, he's looking back over history and reminding himself of what God had done in history. And it transforms him. Heart changes. And he writes this. This is maybe out of his journal, if you like. And it's a song that he composed and sang to God and invites the people of God to join him in it. Um, because it is musical, it is poetic, it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit strange in its language. Um, I'm much more comfortable in dealing with narrative and people just saying things the way they are, but this is poetic, it's creative, it's imaginative. So you've got to do some work to understand what he's meaning. And we're going to do some of that work tonight. Let me read you chapter 3 of the book of Habakkuk. Prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shagayanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendour was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plagues went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. 
You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Is it making sense? Some of you are going, yep. Some of you are going, I have no idea what that's about. Verse 16. I hurt, uh, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the, f the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instrument. I think it's difficult. It took me several readings to even come up with uh, some understanding of what he was going on about. The very first time I read it through, I was sort of like, what? And then you start putting pieces together and that starts to make sense and that leads to another bit fitting together and so on. So as I had already indicated, this is Habakkuk who was responding uh, to God's revelation to him. Like I said, we've been in Habakkuk for three weeks. It's our third week. He initially starts with he's frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated with life as it is. Some people want the Lord Jesus to come back immediately. They just want all the nonsense and rubbish to stop, all the hurt, the pain, the violence, and everything else, the suffering. Well, Habakkuk was a bit like that. And he went to God. And he asked God, how long, Lord, is this going to go on? How long are you going to tolerate evil in this world? And initially God was silent, but eventually God answered him. And God said to him, Habakkuk, I've got a plan. You won't like my plan, but I've got a plan. My plan is basically that I'm going to use the Babylonians, who are the bad guys, and I'm going to allow them to come and invade Israel and beat you guys up. And I'm going to use them to judge you. The Babylonians were worse. And then that causes Habakkuk then to have another crisis. He says, Lord, I've got a problem with your plan. With How can you do that? How can you use bad people to punish your people? How can you do that? How can you let the wicked cause us to suffer why should we be persecuted god why why god answers him and god's answer is in chapter two and the lord says basically you need to trust me i know what i'm doing i've got a plan and i'm going to work my plan and my plan is that i'm going to deal with sin and i'll deal with sin ultimately and i'll deal with israel's sin and i'll deal with the babylonian sin but the bottom line is i want everybody to have the chance to know about me I want them to know about my plan of forgiveness and salvation. So Habakkuk, it's time for silence. It's time for you to accept this, that I am sovereign, I have a plan, I'm working my purposes out, and it's time for you to listen. It's time for you to get close to me and to trust me and to watch. That's exactly what Habakkuk does. And as I said, chapter 3 is his outworking of this time alone with God, of this wrestling with this issue going on. And he looks back through his Old Testament books. He looks back through history. And in this chapter, he poetically recounts some of the times when 
God came, God turned up, God intervened. And whenever God did that in the Old Testament, in history, he always intervened to save his people and to judge the ungodly, always. And when his people were saved or delivered, they responded with worship, which is what Habakkuk is ending up doing here. He's worshipping. He bursts into this musical song. The instructions he gives, this word salah, either means to pause, stop, think, wait, or it means to lift up. We're not exactly sure. And if it's to lift up, then it could be an instruction to the vocalists who are singing the song to, at this point, raise your voices or take it to another key. Same with the musicians. It could be an instruction to them to raise the volume of what you're playing or raise the music to another key. It could mean that. Um, To be sung and to be played with enthusiasm and with feeling and with depth. Or it could, in fact, be an instruction to the people that the people were to pause and to lift up their praises and their thoughts to God, to contemplate what he was doing. Well... Habakkuk tells us in verse 2 that he has heard. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. As I look back, as I read the scriptures, I am reminded of what you have done and I am moved. God, I live in a time when you are mocked and your grace is taken for granted and your word is just ignored. But I read in the Old Testament stories about how you turned up and demonstrated your power and you were real but I haven't seen it. I'd like to see it. That's what he says here. Renew them in our day. Do it again, God. Do what you did back in the Exodus. Do what you did in the time of Joshua, in the time of Samuel, in the time of the kings. Do it again. In our time, make them known. I'd like to experience it. You said that you want everybody to know about you, for your knowledge to go around the whole world, the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Well, do it so that we'll know about you. But God, in wrath, when you pour out your judgment upon Israel, when you judge the Babylonians, in wrath, remember mercy. Remember, Lord, please be kind, be gentle, be forgiving towards us. Well, Habakkuk's prayer is ultimately answered, of course, at the cross of the Lord Jesus, where God's wrath is poured out and where God's mercy is likewise demonstrated, where justice of God is fulfilled And the grace of God is communicated. Ultimately, in the cross of Jesus, does Habakkuk's prayer get answered. So then, he's now looking back. In chapter 1, he looks around, he's looking at the present, and he's sort of looking a little bit ahead of God's plan for the Babylonians to come. Chapter 2, it's all future. He's looking ahead to God going to judge the Babylonians. Chapter 3, he's looking back, and then he looks to the present about his response in the midst of all of these things going on so verses 3 to 15 in the midst of this chapter in the midst of this song is him looking back and poetically creatively describing some historical events how God turned up in verse 3 he's talking about Sinai he's talking about the exodus he says God came from Teman which is a town in Edom The Holy One came from Mount Paran. God came across from Midian and from Edom to invade Egypt. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. 
the prophet is saying that when God turned up at the point of the Exodus, it was as obvious as daylight that his splendor was like sunrise. It was everywhere. Everyone knew about him and his power and his deliverance of his people. And in fact, Haggai says at the end of, uh, Habakkuk says at the end of verse 4, where his power was hidden. The power God demonstrated in the Exodus was not all of his power. It was restrained. He kept some of it back. God, you were very powerful then in what you did, how you conquered the gods of the Egypt. Verse 5 talks about plagues went before him and even after him pestilence followed, that God's judgment was poured out. He burned up before him and left charred remains behind him. God simply stood and the earth shook. God looked, just a glance, and the nations trembled. The ancient mountains crumbled, the old hills collapsed, even creation itself, the most secure part of our world, the mountains crumbled. At this power and demonstration, just a glance of God, he surveyed the earth because his ways are eternal. Verse 7, not just creation, but even the peoples. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Thank you. The people were watching and listening in the nations around about Egypt. And if you remember the story of Joshua how, uh, and the story of Rahab, how the spies went into Jericho, and it's Rahab who says to the spies, we have heard what the Lord did in Egypt. This is 40 years later. And they were still repeating the stories into the next generation. We heard what God did in Egypt. God's fame and renown resounded throughout creation. Um, but for Habakkuk, he's looking back and saying, that was incredible, God. The, the story of the Exodus, where you demonstrated your power, how you turned up, you saved your people, you delivered them from bondage and slavery, you took care of the, the evil king, the Pharaoh, and you delivered them. And they ended up worshipping you on Mount Sinai, where you gave them your word. That's the pattern of God's behavior that will be repeated throughout history. And Habakkuk says, but I look around in my world and I see you're ignored. You're not powerful, or your power is not demonstrated. It's not obvious. Uh, people mock you. People take your grace for granted. People don't worship you. People do their own thing. I'd love God for you to come. I'd love for you to demonstrate the reality of who you are. That's what he's praying. That's what he's asking for. Verse 8 and following, he goes on to talk about not simply the Exodus, but now about the entry into the Promised Land. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? You remember the Jordan River? Did you rage against the sea, the Red Sea? And he talks about in a picture, which he comes back to at the end in verse 15, when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots. It's a picture of God like a mighty warrior. It's not a picture we tend to have of God, but the prophets certainly do, that he is the sovereign one who is angry at sin and who will judge it and deal with it forcefully including sin in our life he rode his horses with victorious chariots he uncovered his bow and he called for many arrows he was intent on judgment he was intent on discipline and he was going to demonstrate and have 
his way. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Did you rage against the sea? No, it wasn't against them. Remember the story Habakkuk is thinking about when God did deliver Israel out of Egypt, they came to that situation where they got cornered at the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army was coming behind them. And before them was the Red Sea. They were cornered and they were trapped and they were helpless. But God had a plan. Through Moses, his deliverer, Moses was to raise his rod over the sea and the waters would part and the people of Israel would go through on dry ground. That's what he's talking about here. You rode with your horses and your victorious chariots. You uncovered your bows and you called for many arrows. The people of Israel get delivered on the other side and the waters close in again on the Egyptians as they sought to follow them. God was victorious. He defeated the enemy. He delivered his people and his people worshipped him. They met him at Mount Sinai where he gave them his word. God came, delivered, judged, people worshipped. That's the pattern. Second half of verse 9, it talks about um, you did it again. You split the earth with rivers, the Jordan River this time. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The Jordan was in flood. The deep roared and the waves stopped. They lifted their waves on high. The people of Israel who had been delivered by God miraculously and very powerfully uh, out of Egypt got to Mount Sinai and rebelled. They forgot. Strange as it seems, they ignored the power of the Lord who had delivered them and they turned to other gods, golden calf and so on. And so God, after they were whinging and complaining, God sent them into the wilderness for 40 years where that generation would not enter into the promised land. Well, 40 years later, God leads them to the promised land. That's what the prophet's referring to here. You split the earth with rivers and there is another river. And this time God stops the Jordan River in flood, stops it flowing. And again, the people go across on dry ground and they pick up rocks. And they put the rocks on the other side, stones as a memorial, and they offer praise and thanksgiving to God. God came, God delivered, and his people worshipped. Verse 13. Oh, well, verse 11 talks about the sun and the moon stood still on the heavens. And you know that story from the book of Joshua. Um, you strayed through the earth in anger you threshed the nations he's a god on the march and he's a god who's going to crush his enemies and he promises that he still will verse 13 is significant you came to deliver your people to save your anointed one the anointed one is the messiah you came to deliver your people israel and to save your promised one the anointed one the messiah God preserved his people alive in order to bring Jesus into the world. When Jesus came, Jesus does exactly what it says in verse 13. You crushed the head of the land of wickedness, the leader. Jesus crushed the head of Satan. You stripped him from head to foot. You completely decimated him, completely victorious over him. And it's Salah, pause, stop. Think about it. Or it's raise the tempo. Lift up your response to God. God used their own weapons against them in verse 14. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating and boasting that they would devour us. But you came. You stepped in. You delivered us. 
So he's been rehearsing history and he is amazed at the pattern he sees of God's deliverance in the Old Testament. And his response to this is recorded for us in verse 16. He's been meditating and thinking and reading about God's actions in history and the physical reactions are described for us. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He had a physical response to these demonstrations of God's power through God's word. God's word will come to pass and it caused him to fear, to tremble. That's what God's word will do when rightly understood. It will either slay us with conviction or it will lift us as it exposes to us a sovereign power for God. It will come to pass. He is a God who fulfills his word. And so Habakkuk says, the end of verse 16, So I'm going to wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I'm going to wait because God said that he would deal with the Babylonians. Things are going to get worse for us in the short term. But eventually God will come and he will right the wrong and he will judge the ungodly. He'll put things right. And then he goes on to say, verse 17, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls. In other words, all sources and supply of food, gone. The Babylonians have come and their scorched earth policy has removed everything. We are left completely devastated and decimated. They have been cruel and horrible and they have had their way. And even when that happens, and happen it will, because there is no avoiding this, the Babylonian invasion is coming. Yet Habakkuk's conclusion, even then I will rejoice in God. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. Somehow, I don't know how, but God's going to save me from or through this situation that's always been the experience of God's people that God is a God who saves he's a God who delivers he comes powerfully and Habakkuk has learned that and he said um, with whatever happens I'm going to hang on to God I'm going to wait for God's judgment I'm going to rejoice in God and I'm going to rely on him verse 19 the sovereign Lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He rules. He reigns. He's the one in control. He is the one who is allowing these circumstances, who works through wicked, corrupt nations and people and governments. But he will achieve his purposes. He will allow people to exercise their freedom even if that freedom means rebellion and disobedience and cruelty and violence to others, he allows it for a time. And in that process, he somehow, miraculously, mysteriously, achieves his purpose. Habakkuk has come to realize that and he simply bows his knee. The sovereign Lord is my strength. God is allowing these things to happen in order that I might rely upon him. There are two responses we can give. When bad things happen, when things go belly up, 
It's easy to trust God in the good times, but it's in the hard times that our faith is tested. When things go bad, when awkward things happen, when things go wrong, when we are disappointed, devastated, we can blame God and abandon him. Why did you let this happen? I don't like you. Or you can submit. I don't like this, and I don't understand why you allowed it to happen. But I believe that you are a good God, and that you have a purpose, and that you're going to use even this awful situation for something beneficial in my life or in your plan that you are a God who is at work. That's where Habakkuk gets himself to. And he finishes with this picture of, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I don't know if you've ever seen a deer or a gazelle, or maybe even like a goat, who can climb rocks and mountains. They have unbelievable balance. Well, that's the picture he's giving here. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer or a gazelle or one of the goats. He allows me to stand in awkward places. He allows me to climb above the difficult circumstances. God enables me to stand for him in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of disaster. It's the Daniel 3 story again with the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You remember them being thrown into the fire? And they make this amazing statement. They stand for God. And the king catches them out and he's going to punish them and throw them into the fire. And they say to the king, the God that we serve has the ability, the power and the strength to deliver us from your hand. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't choose to deliver us, then we want you to know we will remain faithful to him. That's what they say. And they end up throwing in the fiery furnace. And God turns up. In fact, the Bible talks about the Son of God was walking with them in the furnace. That in the midst of the crisis in the furnace, they were, had a very near sense of God's presence with them. I've had that experience, and many of you have too, that in the midst of life's traumas, you have this sense of being carried, of the Lord being somehow sustaining you through these very difficult times. That's what Habakkuk is saying. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I'm not looking at the circumstances or life's messes or anything like that. I'm looking to God for him to work his purposes out. Nothing has changed in society or in Habakkuk's world, but he's now singing. He's celebrating in God. Destruction, violence, strife, conflict, injustice, cruelty, Wickedness, all these things are still going on. And maybe in your life, circumstances haven't changed. There's been no change. But for Habakkuk, God is now at the center. God is now his focus. And that's what needs to happen for us as well. There's been no change in society or what's going to happen, people's attitudes or behaviors. But his perspective has changed. He's changed. He's now got a big picture of a big God. The book of Habakkuk teaches us that we can face our doubts honestly. We can ask honest questions humbly before God. We should wait for his answers that he gives us through his word as he reveals it to us. And just like for Habakkuk, when you experience that, when you get God's answer to your dilemma, it will lead to worship. It will lead to submission and acceptance. 
not because of what you feel or because of what you see, but because of the God you've come to believe in, that he is the sovereign God. The question is, will we listen to him? Will we believe him? Because as Habakkuk says, chapter 2, verse 4, the just will live by faith, by trusting God. The Babylonians will come. The invasion is inevitable. It's part of God's plan. And there's nothing he can do to prevent it. It's going to be awful. But God said, trust me, he will work his purposes out. And so Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. That's where we need to be in our life situation. We need to stop, pray and wait. And in fact, that's exactly what Habakkuk does. In verse 16, he says, I will wait. In verse 18, he says, I will rejoice and be joyful in God my Saviour. Verse 19, I will rely. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. And in verse 2, he says, I will pray. He waits, he rejoices, he relies, he prays as God works his purposes out. That's what the book of Habakkuk, I think, teaches us ultimately, that God is at work in our world with an ultimate plan to bring Jesus back. Let me finish by reading to you from a New Testament letter to Thessalonians, which talks about a time when God will come again, that he will invade and that he will right the wrongs. Listen carefully to the words of Paul. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and then I'll pray. Paul says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed in him. This includes us. God will come. God will judge the ungodly and the disbelievers and those who harm us and do evil. And God will deliver his people who believe in the Lord Jesus and his people will worship him. That's what's happening. God is working his purposes out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the sovereign one, the one who rules over the nations. Nothing catches you by surprise. You have a plan and you're working the plan. You are very patient. You want everybody to know about your plan and to know about the forgiveness available in Jesus. But there is a deadline and there is a time when Jesus will come again to judge and to separate. Lord, Help us always to keep this big picture in mind. In the midst of life's traumas and tragedies and difficulties and disappointments, help us to keep our eyes on you, to wait patiently for you, to right the wrongs, to trust you and to rely upon you and to pray to you. Lord, work your purposes out. Honour the Lord Jesus and bring him, we pray, soon. We ask these things in his name. Amen.